0: growing up hearing Chris's message that sets a pretty high bar, uh, for the rest of your life when you want to be a pastor. So, so there's that. Uh, so thank you so much, Chris, for everything that you've done. And thank you all for being here this morning. Uh, so like Chris said, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, or or if you're new here, my name is Caitlin Stenerson and I'm the teen associate here at ECC, which means that I spend my Wednesday nights with the middle schoolers. Uh, but don't worry, I won't make you guys do any weird games or come up front or anything like that. Uh, we'll keep this real adult this morning. Uh, but thank you so much for coming here for our fourth week of our answered prayer series. And, and this is a series that for me and I hope for you has been, uh, just really edifying and, and really helpful. And so in the first few weeks, we've looked at what it looks like when God answers our prayers in different ways. And, and this week we're looking at what it looks like when the answer to our prayer is wait, uh, which I think is a hard answer to wrestle with and a hard answer to work through. So in the first week, uh, Chris presented to us, Matthew seven, seven through 12, uh, in which God really reveals his heart of a father for us when we come to him in prayer. And it says, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And this is a verse that I've really come to appreciate more and more in recent years. I think there's something so deep about seeing God as a father and us as the children. And It's something that's freeing and, and, and such an amazing and unique love. And I love the fact that this verse says that God views us as his children in the sense that if, if we're willing to give good gifts to our children as, as parents or, or as aunts or uncles, how much more is God willing to give good gifts to us when we ask him? Now there's something else that I know about children, and I know that children are notoriously impatient, right? How many of you guys as parents have heard, are we there yet, every five minutes for a four-hour road trip? I don't know how my parents took like 13 hour road trips with us as kids. Like that is terrifying to me as like a someday parent to think like I might be stuck in the car for 13 hours hearing, are you there yet? Every five minutes. Like that is horrifying. Or how many of you guys have also heard like, can I just have cake before dinner? And you're like, dinner's in five minutes. You can wait, you can wait 15 minutes. But as a kid, you're so impatient about everything. You want everything right now. And I know this as a former child because I was super impatient. I probably took the cake one year for my impatience. You see, growing up as a kid, we always had Advent calendars. How many of you guys ever had Advent calendars? We still get them, so I'm going to keep my hand raised. So we always had Advent calendars. And I, uh, I loved Advent calendars. I loved it because it meant that I got a piece of chocolate every day. Which is like kind of weird because as a parent, you're trying to cut down on sweets for your kid, right? But then you're like, yes, every day you get one piece of chocolate. It was the best. And there were those days where you'd forget to take one, right? So then you'd get like three in one day. Those were the best. So one day I decided that I was absolutely sick of waiting 24 days to get one piece of chocolate every day. And this was about day one. I was about three years old. This was day one. As a parent, what's the number one sign that something is amiss in the house? Silence. Silence. It was quiet in our house one day, which when you have a three-year-old who like already was starting to show like really high extroversion, like that's trouble for sure. So one day it was really quiet in the house and, and my parents are looking for me and they find me downstairs behind a couch with my advent calendar, which is now empty. Because I didn't want to wait 24 days for one piece of chocolate a day. I wanted all 24 pieces right now, and I wanted them in my stomach as soon as possible. And so I had ripped that thing open, and as soon as I realized what I did, I burst into tears, right? Because here I ruined the 24 days of Christmas because I wanted all the chocolate right then and right there. You see, as an adult, not a lot has changed for me. I tend to think that things should happen in an instant. I like, I know how fast I am at texting, right? So I assume everyone else should be as fast at texting as me. And so when it takes like five minutes to get a message back, I'm like, come on, what are you doing? You have your phone. I know you hold your phone in your hand all the time, right? Or like, if I have to wait in line at Starbucks for a drink, like a little bit longer, because the person in front of me has ordered 10, I'm like, well, that's just rude. You weren't thinking of us back here, were you? Ordering your 10 drinks. I also get really impatient in traffic or when I'm shopping or when I have to wait to buy something because it's not in the budget for this month, but it will be for next month, right? I'm super impatient today. And I think I'm also sometimes really impatient in my prayer life, right? I want things to happen right now. And if the answer is going to be no, at least I want the answer no right here and right now so that I know. But there are certain prayers that we pray where the answer is wait. And those prayers, I think, can be harder than most, right? Because at least if the answer is yes or the answer is no, then we know and we can move on from there. But sometimes when the answer is wait, it can feel kind of devastating, a little lonely. You're not quite sure what to do in the meantime. You're not quite sure what life should look like as you wait. And I think that a lot of us have probably prayed prayers recently or sometime in the past where the answer was wait. Maybe it was wait for healing, wait for a job, wait for a relationship or a reconciliation to happen. There's some prayers that we've prayed and some prayers that you might be praying in the season of your life right now where the answer is wait. I think that answer can feel more lonely than most, right? That answer can feel harder than most. But rather than wait feeling lonely or isolating as it often does, I think we learn from scripture that if you're waiting on a prayer to be answered, you're in good company. And if you're a note taker, I know I am, I'm a nerd about it. But if you're a note taker, we have a blank on your sheet that you can fill out uh, that says, if you're waiting on a prayer to be answered, you're in good company. You see, as I prepared for this message, I started thinking about where I could go in scripture. And this was one of theirs where there wasn't one obvious choice because it's all throughout scripture. From beginning to end, God's people are people who have learned to wait really well on the promises that He's made. I thought first of Abraham and Sarah and how they waited for a child for so many years, at one point, even taking matters into their own hands because they didn't trust that God was actually going to come through on it, right? And actually, when Sarah is promised that a baby will come in a year, she laughs because she's like, I'm old. I've been waiting on this promise forever. But what happens? She has a baby. And then I thought also of the Israelites in slavery under the Egyptians waiting for release to happen, waiting for freedom. And how they struggle through it and, and, and they're stressed out about it and they can't figure out where this freedom's going to come from. And at one point they think, well, maybe it's not coming. And then freedom. And I thought also of the Israelites, Israelites then wandering through the desert. And wondering when they were going to get the promised land. And walking through some of the deepest, darkest moments. And Moses himself never seeing the land that was promised. And then one day, they get it. I thought also of the story of a shepherd boy who God promised to make king. And how he had to go through trials and and temptations. And had to, at one point, thought that there was no way he could ever inherit the throne. Because he wasn't even sure if he was going to be alive. And then, the throne. And I also thought of the entire story of God's people from beginning to end waiting on a savior, waiting on redemption, wondering where it was going to come from or when it was going to happen. And then in a small town, in a shepherd stable, in a manger, a savior. And then 33 years until they saw him for the savior he was. You see, the story of God's people is a story of people who have learned to wait. And so if you're waiting on a prayer to be answered, you're in good company today. You're in good company with the history of God's people, and you're in good company in this room, and you're in good company in the church. So if you're waiting on a prayer to be answered, you're in good company. You see, the scriptures at their core are filled with people who were promised big things by God. But there are moments in each story where it seems like hope might be lost. And maybe you've been there on the prayer waiting to be answered. Moments in your story where it felt like hope was lost. Moments in the story where people start doubting whether or not this God could really come through on his promise and whether or not wait was actually a no, that was just misheard. But reading them with the hindsight that we have available to us, we see that time and time again, that waiting was formational to who they were as people. Who they were as people individually and who they were as a community. And we see time and time again that when God's answer is wait, God fulfills his promises So today's main scripture comes from the book of Psalms. And if you don't have a Bible at home, we would love to send you home with one. So we have Bibles at either exit. And if you don't have one at home, we'd love it if you would grab one on your way out and take it with you. Uh, But we're going to be looking at the book of Psalms today. And I love the book of Psalms. Because the book of Psalms tells me it's okay to be human, right? Because this isn't a pretty book full of pretty stories that's really hopeful and cute. It's a real book, with real emotions. And it's people struggling with God and being angry with God and questioning whether or not God was going to come through and and having their doubts and having their concerns and their worries. And at the end, they're still praising God through the midst of all of it. But it's a book that tells us it's okay to be human, that it's okay in our seasons of waiting to be frustrated or sad or scared or feel lonely or be worried about it. And I love that this book gives me permission to be human with God. And so we're going to be looking at the book of Psalms today, and, and we'll be looking specifically at Psalm 27. So if you would turn there with me uh, today, this is a passage that I think is so rich when it comes to seasons of waiting. It's a passage that actually I wish we had more time to dive into, but I think you guys would be mad if we ran up against Viking kickoff time. So we won't do that, uh, but it's a book that I think is so rich for our seasons, seasons of waiting. So let's read it. It says, The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this I do seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent, and he will set me upon a high rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says, if you seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek." Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. There's so much to dig into when it comes to waiting in this passage. And I think even the way it's set up is just this amazing journey from from realizing the trouble he was in and, and having questions about it and then recognizing who God was and calling on God to be who God already was and then remaining confident that at the end of his days he will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You see, I think this psalm ultimately is a declaration of belief in the greatness of God and a trust in the help that he will, at the end of the day, provide. Waiting turns our attention from our need to the one who provides. Waiting turns our attention from our need to the one who provides. You see, I think sometimes our need can become almost an idol in our lives, right? And I think uh, about the seasons that I've been in of waiting and, and the ways that the thing that I'm waiting for can become such an idol that I think, well, God, if you provide this, then I'll praise you. If you provide this, then I'll trust you. But I think true waiting, if we do it well, turns our eyes from our need to the one who provides it. And and David shows this by saying in here, uh, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the only thing I do seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And then later he says, my heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. So just like David, we are invited in our seasons of waiting to lift our eyes higher to what God is doing now and who he is. And we're invited to turn our attention from from turning the thing that we need into an idol, but instead turning to God as the one who provides and trusting that he will eventually provide everything he's promised. You see, our waiting is never passive. And there's a spot for you to write that down as well. Our waiting is never passive. Our waiting is, is either bringing us closer towards something or further away from something. You see, a few years ago, I just got in, out of a relationship and it was the first time in my life that I heard God speak something pretty clearly and loudly into my life. I was praying about what was next and, and what this next season might look like. And, and God very clearly said, wait. And he very clearly said, wait one year. And it was about as loudly and clearly as I've ever heard God speak to me. And at first I was like, that's a great thought. Yeah. Okay. No. And then God was like, no, wait one year. I was like, okay, fine, I'll trust this. I'll wait one year. I'll be really intentional in who I am as a single person in this year. And I'll wait one year. And in that year, I decided instead to turn my attention from everything else that could consume my time. And at the time, I was a youth director at a church in Lakeville. And and I decided I'm going to use this season to really invest in this next generation. I'm going to use this season to spend more time with them. I'm going to use this season to be more attentive to what they need. I'm going to use this season to really invest in them. And I'm going to use this season to really invest in my studies and in my friendships and in my family and in the people that God has entrusted me to at this stage of my life. Because our waiting is never passive. We're either working towards something or away from something else. And I decided at that moment that I was going to be really intentional about the season that God had placed me in and the people that God had entrusted me to. And at the end of the year, it was actually pretty funny. We did a panel on relationships uh, with our students at, at a weekend retreat. And they had asked, you know, what's your relationship status? I said, oh, I'm single. And they were like, well, what do you even like about being single? Like as if it was like this terrible thing, right? They were like, what do you like about that? <laughs> like that's kind of, ooh. And I was like, I love that I get to invest so much time in you guys in this season, in this season when I'm waiting and in the season where God has specifically told me to wait. I love that I get to invest so much time and attention in who you are and who God's creating you to be. And I love that nothing else takes my attention away from that. And I think that our waiting, if we do it right, should look a lot like that. Whether we're waiting for reconciliation or healing or a new job or a new home, I think our waiting should look a lot like being intentional with where we are right now. Because I think if we set our horizons and set our eyes so far on what we're hoping God will provide in the future and the thing that he's asked us to wait for, that thing can easily become an idol. And as we're looking up towards that, we can miss everything else that's happening around us and everything else that God's entrusted us to. And so in your seasons of waiting, that's an opportunity and an invitation to dig in and be intentional with your family and your friends and the space that God's invited you into and the people he's entrusted you to. Because our waiting is never passive. We're either acting towards something or running away from something else. And so being active in that, I think, is so intentional. Using that time of waiting as an opportunity to build character and invest deeply and seek a deeper relationship with the Lord that turns our eyes from the thing that we're waiting on into what God is doing right now and to the God who provides. You see, I think we can trust God in this because he knows what he's doing. And as I prepared this message, I thought about what this meant in Jesus's life. And in particular, I thought about the story of Jesus and Lazarus in John 11. And this is a story about Jesus being asked to raise someone from the dead. But before he's asked to do that, he's asked to heal him and prevent him from dying. And Jesus doesn't do it. Instead, Jesus shows up after Lazarus has been in the tomb for three days. And first he shows his human side. He just weeps and mourns with the people around him because God is with us in the midst of our waiting and our grieving. And then he does the impossible. And he does a miracle and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And he makes some pretty, pretty sharp comments about the purpose behind why it took him so long. You see, God knows what he's doing. And through Christ, we know that our waiting is never purposeless. And instead, it's purposeful. And our waiting takes time for us to invest in and build the type of character and and the things that we need and the people we need around us for the next season. And so we are invited to wait well. We're invited to wait well. By turning our attention to who God is in the midst of our waiting, We're invited to turn from children into lovers. There's a quote by Philip Yancey, and it's a book that we've been recommending all throughout the series. And he writes, children want things now. Are we there yet? But I want dessert now. Now can we open our presents? Is my time out over now? In contrast, lovers learn to wait. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Medical students wait through 10 years and more of training before setting up a practice. Parents wait for years in hopes that the prodigal will return. Waiting is not the goal, but may be a necessary stage in attaining the goal. We wait for what is worth waiting for. And in the process, learn patience. You see, in our periods of waiting, there's this amazing invitation to turn from children into lovers who can trust what the father is doing. And just like children sometimes get impatient and have trouble trusting that the thing that they've been promised will actually come, lovers instead are able to trust in the process and trust in the waiting season. And lovers in that season invest deeply. Any of you who have ever had to sustain a relationship know that in that time of waiting for what's next, you're able to invest deeply in what's now. And so I think as we look at seasons of waiting, whether it's healing or reconciliation or a new job or a new opportunity, those are opportunities for us to turn into lovers of Jesus who fix our eyes on him and our eyes on what he's doing in the midst of our waiting. I love that all throughout the series, Chris has been focusing on acts, the adoration confession, Thanksgiving, and then supplication and focusing particularly on those first three. And I think that those are really helpful for us in seasons of waiting too, to focus first on adoration. And I have a friend of mine who was waiting for God to give her an answer to a question that she had. And she wasn't hearing much. And so she decided to go up to a cabin for the weekend and just spend some time with God. And in the midst of all that, she was still waiting to hear an answer. And what she ended up doing was she would write down everything that she knew to be true about who God was and his character. And so she took a post and she wrote, just wrote down one thing per post-it. I know God is a savior. I know God is this. I know God is that. And she put the post-it up on the wall. And she said that once she ran out of things that she could think of off of the top of her head, she started going to the Psalms. And she started in Psalm 1 and she started writing down at Psalm 1 everything that the Psalms say about who God is. And she would take that post-it and put it on the wall. And she said by the end of the weekend, she just had a post-it that was just, or a wall that was all post-its. That was just things about who God is. Because adoration turns our attention from our need to who God is. And we start out by then praising him and fixing our eyes on him and what he's doing. And then confession. Like I said earlier, I think sometimes the things that we want most in life can become our biggest idols. And so confessing the idols that we've set up. And in the seasons of our waiting, being able to focus on the God who forgives and restores and loves us like a father. And then Thanksgiving, being thankful for who God is right now. And being thankful for the things that he's doing in our lives right now in this very moment. There's another solution that Philip Yancey says for impatience in prayer. And he says, there's a cure for impatience in prayer that I have found. Keep praying. You will likely grow so frustrated that you'll either give up the practice or you'll change your approach to prayer. Repetitive, faithful prayer in the midst of waiting. And I think that's one way that we also make it so that our waiting isn't passive is by continuing to dig into who God is and what he's promised and who we know he is as a deliverer and a promise keeper and the God who answers. You see, I think waiting well gives us an opportunity to let God be God, to take God out of the box and let God be God, which helps us to better trust him and trust his timing, living with a healthy expectation for what he's going to do next. And I think just like children, then our impatience becomes a little bit more like Christmas Eve, right? just being excited for what God's going to do next and being able to take in everything that's going on around us, but also being excited for the God who's going to promise to give good gifts. I love the ending of this Psalm, how David ends by saying, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I love that David, after all of his petitions and all the questions and and turning to God and redirecting his attention, says at the end of it, But I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Because we can trust in God and in his promises, even when he asks us to wait. Because he's a good father. There's a song that I've asked the worship band to play today that I first heard around Christmas time. And it was actually on uh, Hillsong's newest Christmas album. And the first time I heard it, uh, it was one of those things where, you know, you're listening to it in the midst of rewrites of all these other Christmas songs. And and so you don't exactly catch it the first time. And and all of a sudden something clicked in my mind where I went, ooh, that was an interesting lyric. And so I rewound it fast and I listened to it again. And I listened to it again and I listened to it probably, man, more than I'd like to admit over the next few days. Actually, just as many I'd like to admit because it's that good of a song. I listened to it like probably 40 plus times over three days. Every time I was in the car, every time that I was brushing my teeth, anything I was doing, if I had my phone next to me, I was playing that song because the lyrics are so rich and so deep and so amazing that for me, it's become a sort of an anthem in a season of waiting because it's this amazing song that talks about who God is in the midst of all of it. And there's this lyric that blows my mind every single time. And it says, you're the God of seasons. I'm just in the winter. You're the God of seasons. I'm just in the winter. And here in Minnesota, we know that winters can be a little long and brutal. And we know that they can last a little longer than we expected them to or sneak back up on us when we least expect it. But as Minnesotans, we've also learned the art of being in winter really well, right? Of still participating in winter, even when it's hard and long. And I love that this lyric says, you're the God of seasons. You're the God of all of it. And I'm just in the winter. I'm just in, a, I'm just in the waiting season. I'm just in the season waiting for spring to come. But you're in it overall. You see, we serve a God who is a God of the long game. Nothing has taken him by surprise. Surprise. And our waiting hasn't taken him by surprise. And our reaction to our waiting hasn't taken him by surprise. We serve a God of the long game who sees from beginning to end and knows what we need to do to get from point A to point B. And that might look a lot like being intentional and not being passive in our waiting and and being able to praise him in the middle of uh, it. And being able to recognize that he is the God of the long game. And over and over again throughout scripture, he's shown his faithfulness from beginning to end in the times when it looked like he wouldn't, and in the times when he asked his people to wait really well. So I'm going to invite the worship team back up as I pray. Uh, and, and just uh, as you guys listen to this song or sing along with this song, just pay attention to the lyrics. And it might take downloading it again later and listening to it again, uh, because these lyrics overall are just so rich and so deep. And for those of you that are in seasons when you're waiting, I hope that this is as much of an anthem for you as it's become for me. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you have proven over and over again that you can be trusted in the middle of our waiting. And God, I pray that we would be able to fix our eyes on you, that you would give us the patience to be patient with you. And I pray that as we sing this song about seasons, about how you're the God of winter, or you're the God of seasons, and we're just in the winter, God, that you would help us to recognize the winter for what it is, as a season that we can wait on you and expect spring. Lord God, that we can live in a healthy expectation of what you're going to do next, that we can invest in the opportunities we have before us now, that we can invest in our relationship with you in the middle of all of it. God, as a baby in a manger, and as a God who saw the world from beginning to end, you know exactly what it's like to have to wait. And so I pray that as we wait for healing or wait for reconciliation or, or wait for hope or relationships or a job or a home, God, that you would help us to trust you in the middle of all of it, that you would help us to turn from children into lovers, that we could be able to love you and serve you and praise you in the middle of all of it. And that you would help us to be excited for what you're doing in our midst now and what you'll do in the future. In your name we pray, amen.